Hello and welcome to this episode of Elric Talks. In today's episode I talk with author Deborah Fox about her debut novel Secondhand Rose, why she wrote it, how she wrote it and what her writing plans for the future are. Deborah, your book Secondhand Rose came out in May this year. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about it? Okay, it's about a young girl called Abigail Hurst and her trusty terrier Jake. Um, they move back to her hometown of friendship because unfortunately her grandma dies. Her grandma's called Rose and her grandma owns a antique shop called Secondhand Rose. Abigail inherits the house and the shop. Unfortunately, this town's got a really dark secret and Abigail starts to realize that this town on the surface looks perfect but it's really really not and there's a lot of gruesome deaths and a lot of uh, sinister goings-on that happen when she moves into the back into the town and how gruesome are we talking here are we talking target audience 18 plus um have had um one of my friends her little girl's 15 and she's read it um and she was fine she likes horror read horror before so yeah it, it is it is gruesome it is a horror um but i suppose if you like horror um then it's not going to be too shocking my partner was about 10 year old when he started watching horror films and reading horror books so he's quite immune to it. And when did when did this idea uh, come up? When when did you decide? You know what? I'm going to write a horror book. Um, my dog passed away in February two thousand and nineteen, and unfortunately, I didn't cope very well with this passing. Um, I became very anxious, very low, and had too much time on my hands so I decided to fill that time um, I needed to do something productive um, so I decided that I would put my efforts into writing a book and he's the dog that is in the book but did you have did you have the story in your mind for many years before or was that something that you developed then no it just came into my head um, I wrote, I, I knew the ending, I knew the ending 100% and then I just filled in the bits in between. Um, so it wasn't something that I'd ever dreamt of being, it wasn't something that I thought I'm going to be an author from being a child. It just circumstance and being too much time on my hands that I decided that I needed to do something and this took me away. Um, it helped me grieve, definitely, because a lot of the things that he does in the book are, are the things that he actually did. Um, it's his quirks. So it definitely helped me through what was quite a difficult time. You said you didn't dream about becoming an author as a child. What kind of relationship did you have with books and with reading when you were younger? Um, I loved books. I loved old books. Um, my earliest memory is my mum reading Winnie the Pooh. Um, it's still my favourite book now. Any moment I get, I, I read Winnie the Pooh. 
Um, I loved the old classics, so things like Robinson Crusoe, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Kidnapped. Um, they're the books that I read over and over and over to the point where my mum was ripping her hair out. But you were only reading them. You didn't aspire to write your own version of those. No, not at all. Um, I, I wouldn't class myself as the the smartest of people to write a book in the first place. Never did very well at school. I was bullied all through my school years. Um, so I left with no qualifications, um, never to aspire to do anything to do with writing at all. Um, but it just happened. I just had this idea of this story um, and it just evolved from there. What was life like for you in general before you started writing? Um, so um, I work in a warehouse. Um, I work in the returns department. I open boxes for a living and decide whether the products are faulty and need to go back to the supplier or whether they can be put back on the shelf to be resold. Um, so I've done that job since 1998 for the same company. So I've been there an awful long time. Um, I dance, um, I dance two or three times a week. Um, I go to the cinema every week, love going to the movies. Um, so we were quite a, a busy pair um, along with the dog. And then, like I say, things changed when you've not got a dog to walk or spend time with it. Sort of gives you too much time on your hands. You have to find something else to do. What kind of dance did you participate in? Um, so I did ballet, tap dancing, um, a lot of modern and jazz. But now I do um, dance classes, cardio, very intense classes with the most amazing instructor. Um, so I do that now. So I've evolved a bit. I can't do the, the dancing I used to do when I was a kid. I've moved on to probably harder work so that I can keep fit and also keep my brain fit because you have to remember the dancers. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of uh, contemporary uh, powerful music then. Yeah, it's a lot of modern stuff that is very powerful, bass orientated so that you've got this bass to dance to. Um, and these... The instructor is awesome. I come out of that class feeling like I could run a marathon if I had the energy. Um, it's just it's just so much fun, and it's definitely something that keeps your brain active as well as your body. So it's best of both worlds. Did you ever run a marathon? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can dance forever, but I don't think I could run anywhere. <laughs> When you started writing your book, how how much planning did you do before you started to actually write it? I wrote an awful lot about the characters. Um, I knew that the town had to be called Friendship because it just sounds so perfect. Wouldn't everybody want to live in a town called Friendship? It just It's just beautiful. Um, I knew that obviously Jake had to be in it and had Jake had to be a big part of the story 
and his his relationship with Abigail had to be like mine and Jake's, um, where we relied on each other, and that probably sounds daft when it's a dog, but he knew when I was sad, he knew when I was happy, and I wanted the same kind of feeling with Abigail in the story. Um, I knew that the town had to have shops and houses at either side of the street and mountains at one end and a stream at the other and this image of this perfect town um, and then I just wrote in the characters so the, the guy that owns the bar the guy the lady that owns the B&B and then the sheriff and the people that work for him and then I just wrote it all down in a notebook and filled in the blanks but were you aware of the plot from beginning to end before you started to actually write the scenes? Um, I think that came as, as I went along um, because the first murder, um, I wrote that my partner was cutting the grass. He came in, read it and said it wasn't gruesome enough that I had to try harder. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to delete it and start again. <laughs> and then you talked for days about how to gruesomely murder somebody. <laughs> yeah, um, which is kept in the house rather than outside in the street. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we he he reads an awful lot of Stephen King, um, and he said that that's not gruesome enough. You, you need to you need to think about it. So. I sat back in the front room <laughs> and rewrote it. <laughs> Let's talk about the dog a little bit more. You wrote your dog into the book, but what kind of what kind of role does the dog really have? Because you know the dog can't talk; he can only do a very limited number of things. So, how maybe how difficult was it to to find a place that works narratively? It's hard for me to say that because that would that's a major plot twist. So I can't really give too much away. Um, but he's there for support and he's there when things happen that Abigail is not aware of, but Jake senses that there's somebody there or there's, there's something about to happen. Um, but yeah, it's hard for me to give too much away because there's some major plot twists with Jake. Um, okay. So you don't want to give too much away. <laughs> but maybe then just the part before the plot point, I would assume that's a substantial part of the book. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, it's, um, it's not only horror, but there's a mystery as well in it. So... Um, there's a lot of twists and turns and things that you don't see coming. Um, and I'm a big fan of M. Night, so I wanted to do a book where you think you figured it out, you think you know where it's going, and then something happens and you think, ah, I've not figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but... The dog, is the dog more of a, of a lessy kind of dog that maybe ends up driving a tractor somewhere or? 
Is it more the shoulder to cry on? <laughs> no, he's, he's not that smart. He's, <laughs> he's, he's just there as a companion. <laughs> but that would be funny. Maybe I can put that in the next book. Well, <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> I can put a note in the back saying that you gave me that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long did it take you to write the first draft of it? So I started in the February, um, just after he passed away, and I'd finished by sort of May-June time. Um, it, it just happened. It just, as soon as I started typing away, this story just came out of me. Um, and I sent it to a, a friend who reads a stupid amount of books. And she gave me a lot of pointers, sent me a huge email back saying, I don't understand this. What about this? What about dates? Time frame? Um, and gave me loads and loads of pointers. Um, so I went back and used all the things that she'd given me, all these pointers, and sort of adapted it. Um, so that was probably September, I think, by the time I'd done everything that she'd sent me um, and we'd read through it a few times. And was she your only editor? Yes, um, because I was never going to publish it. Um, I decided that I was going to print it all off, get my friend to write, to draw a book cover, and I was going to give it to my mum as a Christmas present. So that was the end goal, that it was just going to be some pieces of paper that we printed off at the computer. My friend drew the front cover. We put them together in a binder and I wrapped it up for my mum. And that's it. That's as far as that went four years ago. Um, so there was never any intention of me publishing this book. It was just something that helped me therapy-wise and it meant I could give my mum something a bit different for Christmas. What changed that you ended up deciding to publish it? Um, I was 15 in June and I decided that I was going to see if it was any good um, and see if somebody would give me some feedback, if it needed adapting, if there's something that I could do better, just for me, just to see if it was any good. Because all these friends and family have told me that it's good, but they're their friends and family and they love you, so they're going to mm. say it's good. You know, they're not going to say it's rubbish because they're family, aren't they? Yeah. So we went through the top 100 publishers just after the new year. Um, and a lot of the publishers weren't taking books on. A lot of them didn't like the genre, didn't like the fact that it's a, um, a short story. Um, and then we found Blossom Spring, sent it to them. They sent an email saying that if after two or three weeks I've not heard anything, then it wasn't successful. Um, but then they sent me an email three weeks later, which is literally the best email I've ever had, saying that they loved it. Um, they thought it was original. They loved the um, relationship between Abigail and Jake and they thought that it could be a series of books 
they loved the characters that much. Um, I was absolutely blown away. Couldn't believe that I got that kind of response for this daft short story that I wrote to help me grieve. Um, it was amazing. Maybe let's go just one step back for a moment. You said it's a it's a very short book. I think it's about 100 pages, right? Yes. Did you ever think about maybe making sure that it's that it's longer or did you feel like there's just not more story than the 100 pages? I think now I've got a bit more confidence um and I'm the, the new book that I'm doing now is a lot more descriptive. I never had that confidence when I did Second Down Rose. Um, like I say, I just wrote it to help me. Um, but I think now if I wrote Second Hand Book, Second Hand Rose now, it would be a lot different, um, a lot more in depth, a lot more descriptive, and it would be a longer book. But I suppose that just comes with with time and probably confidence. And Blossom Spring, they they didn't mind that it was short either, right? No, not at all. They 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 just said that they possibly see a series in it. They wanted more. When they finished reading it, they they felt like they should have I should have more, uh, which is a nice compliment rather than somebody saying, "Well, I've got that finished. I don't want to read any more of that." So I think that was. That was the confidence that I needed mm. to write some more of it, to write more more about those two characters. I tried to do a little bit of research uh, about Blossom Spring because I've never heard of them. And there seems to be just a little bit of a controversy about whether or not Blossom Spring is a vanity press or not. Well, my partner did a lot of research after they sent me a proposal for a contract because we wanted to make sure that we were doing the right thing. Um, so we did an awful lot of research about um, them and um, whether people had bad reviews. And they've been absolutely amazing. That I can't, I can't praise them enough. They've just been amazing with me, um, supporting me all the way, giving me um book bloggers to contact and interviews and um just generally helping me make the right decisions when i'm trying to get my book pr uh, reviewed um, and promoted so we've had no issues with them at all um from the day that they offered me the contract to right up to today um so if people have had a bad experience it's not something that I've had at all. So you would say that from your experience, definitely, it's a somewhat legit publisher that's not just taking your money and then sending you a thousand books for you to do whatever with. No, not at all. Um, I've, like I say, it's just it's just been a fabulous experience. We keep saying that we're on this ride, me and my partner, um, and we just don't want it to stop at the moment. We're enjoying every minute of it. So I've got no, there's nothing bad I can say about Blossom Spring at all. I also saw that on their website, they have, I think they have like two different kind of offers that they make the authors. The one is the general 
traditional publisher route. And then the other one is, I think they call it program B or something like that. Yeah, the appendix A and appendix B, I think it's. Yeah. Um, which, which would yeah. be the one that would seem a little bit more sketchy where you have to pay them first and then they end up making the book for you. Yes, which is what we did. Um, we paid them the money and then they sent the book to an an editor that works for Blossom um, and then she sent an email with all these edits which was horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> there was about 300 edits and I literally had a meltdown because I thought they wanted me to rewrite my book, they don't like it and my partner's trying to calm me down. <laughs> Because it was so scary to see all these things that were wrong with it. This book that you're just so in love with um, and so proud of. And then you see all these red marks. <laughs> I felt like a kid again at school. <laughs> did, did you... I've just made a complete hash of it. <laughs> did you generally agree with the criticism you got? I, yeah, I think once I calmed down um, and once I actually put my book head on rather than um, my panic head, um, you realised that they were 100% right. Because I know this book in my head 100%. I know it off by heart. Um, but somebody else reading it doesn't. And it took me a while to get my head around that, that I needed to explain more because... There were bits in the book where the editor just said, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're trying to get across. So I needed to be, to explain a lot more and to be, and to remember that not everybody is in my head. The person reading this book's thinking, what? So yeah, it did make sense once we started going through it, but it did take me, it took four days to go through the edits. Um, and we were going on holiday, <laughs> so we literally had four days to blitz all these edits before we went away. <laughs> so it was late nights and a lot of writing and changes and explaining, which um, needed to be done. But when I first saw them, I literally went into a meltdown. <laughs> What were most of the edits about? Were there situations that didn't make sense? Were, as you said, dates that were maybe missing or that didn't make sense? There was a lot of spelling mistakes um, where I just got the wrong um, version of a word. Like I say, I haven't got any schooling at all, really. So I didn't know... Um, that I'd made so many spelling mistakes. And me and my partner had edited it. I imagine how many times we'd read it. We were starting to go mad reading this book over and over and over. And we just missed them. Um, and there were a lot of ways, times when she was saying, how does Abigail feel at this point? Because I'd not put how she was actually feeling um, in different situations. So that, that was a lot of edits. Um, and then, like you say, dates um, and also 
it's a half an hour walk from where she lives back to secondhand rows. Um, but sometimes I'd put an hour and sometimes I'd put mm. half an hour. So those kind of things just needed polishing. It was a lot of polishing, which once she got into that, I realised that they were doing the right thing. Um, it's just very daunting when you first see it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Did you, when you've, as you've, after you've finished your manuscript, Did you ever think about maybe going the self-publishing route? I think that would have been the second option if we hadn't have got what we got from Blossom Spring. I think we did, an, both of us did an awful lot of research. Um, and like I say, we went through a hundred publishers, uh, finding the one that would take a short story, would take a horror, And we're actually taking books because a lot of them only have a short window where they actually take on new books. Um, just I think it took the whole of January just hunting for somebody that would do it. Um, so if nobody, if I'd have got nothing back, then that would have been the next option. But they did everything. The covers, them, the, the, the cover is literally from my head. When I explained to the girl what I wanted when it came back it was just you're in my head how did you know from me explaining that that's exactly what I wanted um so I it was just perfect that they did this cover that I've had so many comments on the cover that it's just it just looks so sinister it's exactly what I wanted For the listeners who can't see the color right now, it's a, what is it, a, a wardrobe in yes. the middle of a big uh, room. Yes. With floral print or wallpaper. Roses, yeah. yeah. And then out of the wardrobe is coming a, it seems like a big hand. It's a very big hand. So, so I would <laughs> assume that's not the dog. No. <laughs> oh, you're giving me so much shit information ready for my next book <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to put you as a co-writer i think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no that's not the dog that's um, something a lot sinister that probably has a little bit to do with the twist of the story then yes yeah. yes but the yeah, the the cover's amazing i love the cover How did you, how did you write that from a logistical point of view? Did you have your writing set up, your little nook in one of your rooms, where you sit down between seven and eight p.m. every day to write a thousand words, or what was your what was your schedule like? Well, I I work seven in the morning until five at night, Monday to Friday. So writing is in between tea, dancing chores um so i never really have a set time because i don't like to put pressure on myself to try and sit and write because then it goes out the window because other things happen um but i am probably the only person that's ever going to tell you this but i write in the front room and i put murder she wrote on and i write 
to Jessica Fletcher in the background. <laughs> and that's how I've always done it. And she's my inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> but I find listening to her quite calming and quite soothing. And I like the background noise. Like I don't think I could write. I've done it that long that I don't think I could write in a quiet room. Um, so my partner sits at the side of me, um, probably watching football on his tablet or something with the sound off. And I sit listening to Jessica Fletcher and I just type and just write. And I don't give myself set words. I don't give myself any goals. I just write until I feel like I'm ready to just say, right, do you want to read it? And then he reads it as soon as I've finished. Do you have any other kind of guidance for you while you're writing? Because some of the other authors I, I spoke to, for example, they have a they have a routine where they make sure that they end the day writing at the point where they know exactly how to how to start writing the next paragraph so that the next day they already know how to start and what to write and are never in a situation where they're sitting in front of the blank page and panic and don't know what to do. Do you have some kind of some kind of rules like that too? Yeah, I try to finish chapter. Um, I'm writing quite an in-depth chapter at the moment, which has now taken me about three or four days to do this one chapter because I keep thinking of other things and popping them in and then I get inspiration from things outside. Um, so I'm, I'm about halfway through this chapter seven. So I do like to finish, like you say, on a, a, a point where I know that I can pick it back up. Mm. Um, I don't like to finish halfway through. Um, but I also, when I, because this chapter has been quite in depth, it's quite a pivotal point of the story. So I really want to get it right. So I keep going back to it. Um, Friday morning, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and just had this thought. So literally got up and started writing. And then when my partner got up at seven, I'd done a big chunk of this chapter and rewrote a bit more. So I think when the inspiration comes, rather than laying there awake thinking, I'll write that when I get up, I just get up. I just do it um, and then at least it's out of my head and then we can spend the rest of the day doing whatever we need to do. Talking about the length of your book again, it's a hundred pages. It's it's very interesting length because it's not really, it's not full length. We're not talking about three or four hundred pages, but it's also with a hundred pages a little bit, a little bit longer than I would a short story expect to be. Yes. Did you at some point think about maybe just cutting it down to maybe like something like 30 pages or so to just have a, let's say, proper short story format? Um, we didn't know all this until we started researching um, in the new year that it's classed as a novello, and we'd never heard that word, either of us. So, no, I think, like I say, because I'd never, I'd never thought about getting it published, it wasn't until we looked into this and researched that we found that it was slightly longer than a short story. Mm. But, but, but at that no. point, at that point, you could have said, well, in order to increase my chances, you know, I'm going to 
either make this way longer or make this a bit shorter. No, it never it never came into my head. I just love the story that much. And I suppose every writer says that, don't they? They love yeah. their, their story, so they're going to say those things. But I think that we just, because it all flows, and I'll, I've had comments from people saying a lot happens at once, that there's no gradual, and I suppose that's because it's a short story and also because... I didn't actually know what I was doing. I just mm -hmm. had this story in my head and just got it down onto my tablet. Um, I've never written anything before, probably at school when I was a kid, but never as an adult. So it, it just happened and I didn't even think about how long it was or how short it was or whether it needed to be a proper novel. We just, I just wrote it. And then, like I say, in January, we sent it to one publisher and they loved it so the feedback was there i think you already said that you're planning to make the next one a bit longer yes so are you aiming for a let's say for a traditional length of something like three or four hundred pages or even more i'm hoping so um the the story that i've got in my head is, is a lot longer than Secondhand Rose, a lot more in depth. I'm thinking about the way I'm describing things. And I suppose that just comes with, with time and um, realizing when the edits came back for Secondhand Rose, how much information they actually need. Because mm -hmm. it's hard when it's in your head to get it on the page and describe it so that people read it and they say, I can see that room. So that's what I'm going for now. I'm trying to be more descriptive. And um, I've, I've wrote 10 chapters already. Um, and it's, I think it's about 9,000, 10,000 words. So there's a lot more in this one because there's a lot more going on. Um, and it spans not just in one town, it's across the world this time. So there's a lot more places I can go because I've not narrowed my options to one town. It's worldwide, which is a lot of scope, isn't it? But you haven't done a outline beforehand for this one. No, it's all in my head, um, which I don't know whether that's right or wrong because I don't know many other authors. Um, but the whole story is in my head. And I'll see something in the street and think, oh, that would be funny in this book. Um, oh, I can do that with the book. Or somebody will say something and I think, oh, I can twist that and I can put that in the book. So that's how this has happened, is that a lot of things that I'm seeing um, just suddenly give me inspiration. We, we we came home from work a few weeks ago and we stopped at a pedestrian crossing and I suddenly had this image in my head of this part of the book, this part of this chapter. Um, and I said it to my partner and he just laughed in the car and just said, that is so funny, you've got to put that in. And where did that come from? And I said, just looking at the pedestrian crossing, I just had this thought. Um, so that's already gone in. So I'm just getting inspiration from all over rather than writing it down just see where it goes but are you are you opposed 
to outlining? No, not at all. Um, I think I just like the the freedom of it. I wrote, I've I've written the ending. The ending is written down in my notebook. I've still got all the notes from Secondhand Rose, so I've carried on. So I've I've wrote the the ending, and I've wrote a few names of characters, um, and there's a lot of colleagues that I work with and also friends that I've asked if I can use them in the book. Um, so I already know where the story's going and I suppose I should write it down, but I just like the, I like to know that it could change rather than it's written down, that I could tweak that because I'm not 100% happy with it. So I'd like to just go along with it and just see where it takes me. What are your aspirations for the second book? As I said, I said, the first book you did that to you had the down to cope really with loss. But what what are your what is your goal for your second book then? Um I think the confidence of the first one has led me to this to know that what I've written isn't rubbish or not to blossom spring anyway. Um, and that's what's given me the inspiration to write this one. Uh, this story, I actually started after Second Hand Rose, so probably Christmas 2019, um, and then stopped, never carried on with it. I'd done about four chapters, and then because Blossom Spring said they wanted to publish Second Hand Rose, it's given me that push to carry on to write it that maybe I could write a second one um, and to see where it goes but I have no there's no thoughts in my head about I need to do this for money or anything like that it's just I'm enjoying it it's just so I have so much fun when I'm writing um, that I just get these stories these daft stories in my head And I probably had them all my life, but probably ignored them. And then this has given me that push to do something with it. So you would definitely say that the whole writing thing for you is much more of a of a hobby than really the, the attempt to make at least somewhat of a living off that. Yeah, I don't know whether it will ever lead to a, live, a living. Like I say, I, I work full time um, and I love my job. I, I love working in the warehouse. Um, so this is more fun, um, and I, because I enjoy it so much, then I suppose I can just go with it, rather than people who have got to do this for a living. Mine's just in between my full-time job and my full-time life, um, and we'll just see where it goes. Um, myself and my partner have always said that it was never about money. It was just about saying I'm 50 year old and I've had a book published and that's a huge thing for somebody who's got no schooling, no qualifications um, and works in a warehouse. So we'll see. And I don't know if you said it already, but the second book, is that considered a sequel of the first one? No. <laughs> it's a children's so book. So the idea of of your publisher to say, well, we could make a series out of this, is not necessarily that 
appealing to you or it does yeah that there is some there is thoughts in my head that that there should be a sequel i've already got ideas but i'm trying to file them in a different part of my brain until i've finished this um but yeah i've already had ideas of where abigail and jake can go next so it's not ruled out at all i just need to get this one done and then we'll see what happens with a sequel but yeah i think a lot of people have said that it needs a sequel so i've, I've got to listen to a manta <laughs> <laughs> do you already have a release date or a release window for your second book no i've um i've i've only done 10 chapters and i haven't blossom blossom spring know that i've started a second book um but i've not actually told them it's not a sequel um i've not told them anything if i'm honest it'd be a nice surprise when i email it over <laughs> <laughs> or not <laughs> um so yeah i think if the, if they don't go for it because the, the, there's a chance they might not um they might want a sequel to second and rose and nothing else we don't obviously we don't know until they send it over then we might go down maybe a different publisher or even self-publish um because my partner says it's it's um i suppose he's going to say it in but he, he he finds it quite funny quite a funny book um so we'll see what happens when i send it over to them um and see if they are interested in taking it on or whether they decide it's not for them so and you brought us a little passage of secondhand rose to read right yes well then ready when you are it was early june 2018 when abigail hurst packed up all her belongings to make the long journey to friendship a journey she had not taken in a while grandma had passed away so it was time to say goodbye goodbye to a life in everett and her job as a reporter at the herald and moved back back to friendship to grandma's beautiful house and antique shop the second hand rose by her side was a little terrier jake who despite his size could handle just about anything she fancied him securely in the van and started the long journey home abigail was 22 years old when she had left home for the big city lights determined to be a reporter Gran had never stopped her. She just knew she'd be back when she could. The happy thoughts of Gran kept her going as she travelled, along with Jake's occasional bark at cows. After what seemed like hours, they arrived at Gran's home. Abigail had always loved this house. The trustees of the will had left the key under the flower pot on the porch, so they let themselves in. Grandma Rose's house was colonial, like the houses in New Orleans were. The architect of friendship had gone to New Orleans on holiday when he was a kid and the beautiful houses had stayed with him. When he designed friendship, he had made a mini version. He said then he would always be on holiday. It was the best of both worlds, Rose had always said. The house was old fashioned with dark furniture everywhere. Abigail had already decided she would sell most of it in the shop. She had also decided that she would keep the Tiffany lamps. She loved them and the dining table, mostly because when she was little, she'd written her name on it. And grandma had always said it was hers now. None of the tables chairs matched. 
because grandma had broken all the original ones over the years and bought replacements from yard sales. Abigail loved the fact they didn't match, but so quirky, so grandma. There was a veranda around the front of the house and Abigail was looking forward to a glass of wine with Jake by her side on a warm evening, listening to the crickets. The furniture on the veranda needed updating. She decided it was her first task. It was nearly summer after all. Priorities, Jake, she said, looking down at him. She took the box from the car labelled Kettle, grabbed Jake's bits and bobs and settled in for the night. It was early when she awoke. Jake was still snoring next to her. It had been a long journey, so she decided to leave him where he was and start unpacking. It was such a beautiful day. She unpacked as quickly as possible so she could take Jake and explore the town and visit the antique shop, which was now hers, a fact that still really hadn't sunk in. The town was just as she remembered it. Nothing had changed in the 10 years she'd been away. The streets on either side of a wide road and the mountains in the distance. It was a cross between Twin Peaks and Boulder from Morecambe Windy. She walked past the sheriff's office at the coffee shop that Martha used to own, the B&B called Friendship Forever, that was owned by Sophia Chapman and the bar owned by Jeff Samson. She loved this town. It was perfect. Jake had so many new smells and new places to explore. He was happily wagging his tail at everyone who said hello to him. She thought to herself, why did I leave? The antique shop was perfect and the smell of the furniture brought back so many memories. Happy memories, sad memories. I miss Gran, she said to herself. Being here brought that back. She loved old stuff, and now everything old. She had a lot of in this shop. Some beautiful, some not so beautiful. One particular not so beautiful piece was a big bedroom wardrobe made from really dark, nearly black wood. She'd always hated it, but Grandma said it was special. There were lamps everywhere, but the shop was dark and uninviting. She would change all that. The shop had two big bay windows either side of the front door, so she would take the dark furniture out of them and bring light in. I could do so much with this shop, she said. As she looked around, she wondered where the trustees had left the keys and which one would fit the ugly wardrobe. She'd never seen it open. Well, now she owned it, she would open it. Just as she started hunting, the shop door opened and there stood Sophia Chapman, Jake wagged his tail and ran over. Sophia looked down at him and said, Oh. Abigail remembered Sophia was a cat person. She had ten of the darn creatures ten years ago. Lord knows how many she had now. Jake didn't understand why he didn't get fussed. And then he smelt cats and ran round the shop trying to find them. Kept him busy while Abigail and Sophia caught up. She talked for an hour or so about the town. Abigail's job at the Herald, and of course, Grandma. Then Jake finally came back, probably as he couldn't find any cats, and probably because he was hungry. Abigail said goodbye to Sophia and said that she would pop into the B&B tomorrow without Jake, which went without saying. She closed the shop and started the half-mile walk home. It was a beautiful evening. Jake didn't mind walking. Abigail had a pocket full of biscuits for him. It was Abigail who was now starving. Thank you. You're welcome. And that's from Secondhand Rose, and it's out now? Yes, it is. Yeah, 17th of May it was published.
So where can the listeners find Secondhand Rose and where can the listeners find you online? Um, so I'm on, um, I'm on Twitter, now X, I suppose. Um, then I'm also on Instagram now and I'm also on TikTok now. Um, and I've got my Amazon profile set up because that's where you can buy the book. I've also joined All Author and they're featuring my book for the next six months. So you can also get it on there as well. And what's your handle on Instagram and TikTok? Uh, Twitter. Um, so Twitter is debmax730 and Instagram is deborah.9553 and I'm not sure about TikTok. All right. Thank you very much, Deborah. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. And I wish you all the luck with your next book whenever it'll come out. Yes, thank you. <laughs> And thank you again for, for doing this and thank you again for giving me some of your time. Oh, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elric Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.